Good morning, and thanks for tuning in to listen to the Easter sermon from Moore Memorial United Methodist Church. One of the church fathers described the significance of Easter better than I can. He said this, On this day, the divine call is heard, the kingdom is prepared, we are saved, and Christ is adored. On this day, when Jesus trampled death underfoot, he made the tyrant a prisoner and despoiled the underworld. It's a good day. And we're glad that you're celebrating with us. As more and more folks are able to join us again for Sunday morning worship, it makes less and less sense for us to pre-record worship for the radio and for videos that are available online. So this will be our last week on the radio. Beginning next week, the 11 o'clock service will be available live on Facebook and YouTube. But if you aren't inclined to use the internet and want to keep listening to our sermons, we want to stay connected to you. There are a few options that we have to get the sermon audio to you each week. We just need to hear from you so that we can make arrangements. So please call us this week. 662-283-3804 is the number for us here in the office. Or send me an email, chad, that's C-H-A-D, at moorememorialumc.com. I would love to hear from you. We'd be thrilled to have you worship with us in person at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. And we want to stay connected with you if that's not realistic for you right now. We pray that worship this morning is a gift to you. Alleluia, Christ is risen, Christ is risen indeed, alleluia. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would open to us the joy and the power and the hope of your word that is brought to us at the resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray that by your grace we might have faith to believe in him and to hope in the new life and the restoration of the whole world that his resurrection is a down payment on. Help us to trust these things as we read your word together today. Amen. Our scripture reading today comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 20. Read verses 1 through 18, and I invite you to hear this word. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. 
He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary, Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabuni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. you pray with me now? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts find acceptance in your sight, Almighty Father. For it is you who are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The primary virtue that faith gives us on Easter is hope. It requires faith to believe that Jesus got up after he had been dead and walked out of the tomb, but the fruit of that faith is hope. And we live in a a world that desperately needs to learn again how to hope. What does it mean to hope? Uh, The great preacher J.I. Packer said it this way, Optimism hopes for the best without any guarantee of its arrival and is often no more than whistling in the dark. Christian hope, by contrast, is faith looking ahead to the fulfillment of the promises of God. Optimism is a wish without warrant. Christian hope is a certainty guaranteed by God himself. Optimism reflects ignorance as to whether good things will ever actually come. Christian hope expresses knowledge that every day of his life and every moment beyond it, The believer can say with truth on the basis of God's own commitment that the best is yet to come. Hope is a certainty guaranteed by God himself that the best is yet to come. Hope is not a virtue that we can learn when everything is good, when everything is right, when everything is perfect. Hope is learned in the dark. Trusting that the brightness of the rays of the sun will begin soon to curve over the horizon. When I was a 20-year-old, a student at, at Millsaps, I began to have some concerning physical symptoms. I'd been sick before, and the doctors gave me antibiotics or a pack and something that after a week or so, everything was always better, and I expected no less this time. The nurse practitioner felt the same as she gave me some medicine from what she, for what she was sure was a simple stomach ulcer. 
some lightweight medicine to treat it and sent me on my way. It was Christmas and I was off from school and everyone expects college students to sleep all the time when they're at school. And over the next few weeks, I got worse. But we didn't really notice how much I was sleeping because my parents and I just expected me to relax over Christmas break. But when I drove down after Christmas to visit a friend in Baton Rouge, I realized during the visit that I had slept 16 hours in a 24-hour period, that I didn't have the stamina to do do the things that I love to do with my friends. Something was wrong. So I packed up early from my trip and drove back home to Ridgeland. And we went to the ER, and they did a CT scan, and they told us that I had ulcerative colitis, but they'd need to do a colonoscopy to confirm. And I was too sick at the moment to do it, so we'd need to wait a few days for the medicine to work and help me be better. I could stay at the hospital, or I could take my medicine and go home. And I opted to go home because I wasn't the kind of sick that needed to stay at the hospital. I wasn't really sick. I was just going to be better soon. And a month later, we had a firm diagnosis, and I had some pills to take that were going to help me be better, and everything was on the right track. The next semester was good. I spent the next summer at camp as a counselor, running every day and teaching climbing. I wasn't really sick. I just had a little condition that required some medicine. And the next fall, I had another flare, despite the medicine this time. And it was worse. I had to have a blood transfusion. We tried diet changes. We prayed. We got second opinions. But at the end of the day, there was really only one thing to do. Adjust to the reality that this was going to be my reality for the long haul. There would be no quick, simple fix. My body was broken. My body is broken in a way that will prevent it from ever working entirely correctly apart from a grand healing miracle of God. For the first few weeks of the pandemic, we thought that this would be something that would be over fairly quickly. There was so much that we didn't know and the effects had not yet been so apparent near enough to us that it was easy to believe that it really could be as bad as the experts said. It was hard to trust such bad news that we hadn't seen yet, so much so that some would say that it was a hoax. And others began preparing for the worst, stockpiling toilet paper and cleaning supplies. But the pandemic and the political strife that it's exposed in the last year has lasted long enough now that even if we could before, we can no longer deny that the world is broken. There may, in fact, come a day when it's no longer a concern every time we breathe that COVID-19 is lurking in the vapors of our breath or, the, or that of the, of the person next to us, and I pray that will be soon. But whether or not that day comes, what we've seen in the last year has popped the balloon. We, we have to come, we've had to come to terms with the undeniable fact that the world is broken. And no amount of optimism, no amount of empty wishing, not even pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps is going to fix it. We can't do anything that will change it on our own. It won't be as simple as a change in diet or a pill that makes everything all right. This is the kind of brokenness that we've got to learn to live with. And by faith and hope, maintain that the best is yet to come. 
And Easter is when we learn to do that. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb. She's in the fog of the late night or the early morning. The church fathers disagree about whether when Scripture says it was early in the day, if, if it's by Greek time, right before the sun comes up, or if it's by Jewish time, uh, just after the end of the Sabbath when the sun has finally gone down. But it doesn't really matter. It's not like they had clocks to tell them what time it was anyway. The reality is that it's dark and there's not a flashlight or a street light or cars driving by to provide any kind of light. Mary's making her way by the moon and the stars and maybe a torch to the tomb. If I had to guess, she's going earlier than she'd planned. The, gospels, the other Gospels mention that Mary had some companions. All of them mention Mary of Magdala, though. And John focuses exclusively on her. Mary is going in the dead of night to the tomb. She's in the mental fog that comes with uh, exhaustion and with grief and with the trauma that she's seen over the last 48 hours. Her Savior, her Lord, her friend has been executed by the state under false pretenses with the blessing of the religious authorities while the crowds laughed at him and demeaned him. So now she might as well go on to the tomb, tie up the loose ends, get some closure so that she can start living in a world without Jesus, a world that's never going to be the same, a world with dashed hopes. There's no room for denial for her. She's seen her Savior die. When she arrives, she notices that the stone has been rolled away and her heart starts pounding and the tragedy of the last few days leaves her certain that things will only get worse from here. And the horror, the horror that someone would do what she thinks has happened, that knowing none of Jesus' friends could be there and take care of his body until after the Sabbath, someone has come and rolled away the stone and taken his body. Not only have they done a terrible thing, they've exploited their religious observance to do it. She'd have never let him be buried without treating his body at any other time except the Sabbath. Where have they taken him? What should she do? Who, who can help? And her mind goes to Simon Peter and the disciple whom Jesus loved. And she runs to them, tears to them in the dark, and finds them. It doesn't matter what hour it is. She rouses them and says, They've taken my Lord, and I don't know where they've put him. They've taken him out of the tomb. I, we don't know where they've laid him. And the, the indignity of the crucifixion wasn't enough. They've also got to make sure that we can't prepare him for his burial. So now these two disciples take off running. Running for a while, step for step, and the, the details of this story ring true because it's such a strange sequence of events that it's the only the kind of story that happens when it's been told by both of them together over time. They, they run together, but eventually one outruns the other one. And he gets to the tomb first, but he stays on the outside and, and kind of peers in. And the other one catches up and doesn't stop at the entrance of the tomb, but keeps going all the way in. And when he gets there, he notices something about the linens. 
because he's gone all the way to the place where, where Jesus was laid to rest. He, he sees the linens, which wouldn't have been left behind if there had been someone stealing the body. And not just that, but care was taken to roll up this cloth that would have been on Jesus' head and to lay it to the side. And St. Gregory of Nazianzus says, all of us on Easter should be like Peter and the disciple whom Jesus loved. That all of us should be like them as we hasten to the tomb, running together, running against one another, vying in the noble race to get to the tomb. And then even if we're beaten in speed, win the victory of who wants it more by not just looking in the tomb, but going in. Keep going all the way, looking for Jesus, even after he's died. One runs faster, one runs slower, but goes all the way in, and ultimately they both go in. And when they see what they see, they believe. And the the scriptures make sense at this moment, what Jesus has been telling them, that he's going to rise from the dead. When they see that cloth rolled up, they believe. In the resurrection of Jesus, everything starts falling into place for them. They have seen and they have believed. But Mary stays at the tomb as they go back to the other disciples. She stays weeping. And she bends over and looks in the tomb and where, the, where Peter and John just were and didn't see anyone, now there are two angels there and they talk to her. They ask her, woman, why are you weeping? They call her woman because they don't know her. She says, they've taken away my Lord and I don't know where they've laid him. It's all too much and she turns around still crying and there's Jesus but she doesn't recognize him through the tears and he asks her the same question woman why are you weeping he says if he as if he does not know her and he goes further and says whom are you looking for as if he does not know and she thinks he's the gardener who should know who was buried in the tomb and why she would be upset that the stone is rolled away and so she says if you know where he is please tell me It may be daylight by this time, but Mary is still in the dark. And then Jesus changes everything by speaking her name. Mary, he says. And she replies, teacher, with all of the love and affection and joy that could come with the realization that your friend who is dead is now alive, that the Lord in whom you had placed your hopes is no longer dead. It's the best possible news. The worst thing has turned into the best thing, and nothing will ever be the same. Alleluia. Jesus will be here forever, she thinks. And then Jesus says, Don't cling to my body. Go tell my brothers. Tell them that I'm going to my Father and to to your Father, to my God and to your God. My death hasn't separated us. It hasn't stopped the mission. It hasn't called everything into question that you feared. It hasn't changed the message. Go tell my brothers. So Mary goes and she preaches the first Christian sermon to the other disciples. I have seen the Lord. Before he said her name, 
Mary was convinced that the story ended at the tomb. That she'd anoint Jesus' body and that he'd lay in the tomb and she'd leave him in calm repose. And Peter and the other disciple didn't know any better either as they ran to the tomb and as they went inside until they saw that little cloth rolled up. And Mary doesn't believe until Jesus says her name. But Mary's tears, when she recognizes Jesus, disappear. They vanish altogether. And maybe you on this Easter morning are like Peter and John, excited and eager to run to the empty tomb and have your eyes ready to discover the risen Lord and are ready to go home in faith. May we all be like that. But maybe you're more like Mary, devoted to the Lord but lost in the dark. Maybe you've been so traumatized by the last year or things that life has brought in your life beyond the scope of this pandemic, that you're convinced that nothing good is coming. But the best, the best is yet to come. And when Jesus speaks your name, when he calls you by name, your tears will vanish, and the sweetest words will fall off of your lips, my teacher, and you will know the sweetness and the power of the resurrection. And you'll be so wrapped up in that joy and the hope that has conquered your grief and your fear that you will want to cling to Jesus. And then he'll speak more. And he'll remind you that the work isn't done yet. And this is the moment that we learn to hope. Because we can't stay in the garden forever with Jesus. There's still more to do for him and for you. And even if Jesus doesn't remind you of that, the world will. Despite a good-feeling Easter sermon, we're going to go back into a world that's still facing a pandemic, though we hope it's the end of it, where all the sins that plagued our world before today are still here. We can't stay here. But there are people who don't know what you know, who haven't seen that little linen cloth rolled up, who haven't heard their name spoken by the resurrected Lord. They don't know yet that the tomb is not the last thing, that the pandemic is not the last thing, that sin and death are not the last thing. Those things are all going away because the best is yet to come. And when the best comes, what will be left? Faith and hope and love. And the greatest of these is love. Life and beauty and goodness, glory and power and honor. Those things have arrived in Jesus. Jesus has given us the guarantee of his deposit of these things in his resurrection and promised that he will come back so all of us can participate in a new creation that is no longer characterized by sin and death. Those things have arrived in Jesus. Those things are coming with Jesus when he returns. And in our hope, in our hope, we remember that there are people who still need to hear that good news. On Easter, we learn to hope. The faith that we find in the Lord who speaks our name so that we can recognize him leads us out to share the good news with others that the best is yet to come.
Will you pray with me? Eternal triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we give you thanks for the hope that we find in the resurrection. We confess that often we would like things, the difficulty of things, to end soon. For the solutions to be simple and quick. We confess that hope requires a certain kind of endurance that we're not always ready for. But we pray, Lord, that you would give it to us all the same. That as we look to Jesus who has been raised from the dead, who has conquered the power of sin and death, who has trampled on the tyrants who tried to hold him down, who has conquered the greatest things that we could fear, that we would trust that he will win the victory, that we can trust him to bring all that we need and all that we desire even life itself, when he returns. We pray this would be our faith. We pray that this would be our hope. We pray that our hope would enable our endurance. Amen. Thanks for joining us this morning. As we mentioned towards the beginning of the broadcast, this will be our last week on 95.1 FM. We're so grateful to the folks at 95.1 for making it possible to continue to proclaim the gospel when COVID interrupted our habit of weekly gatherings, and it's been a pleasure to work with them. We're thrilled to be able to worship together in person again, but we don't want to leave behind anyone who can't yet join us in person and has found this radio ministry edifying. So if you want to keep hearing sermons, Please call the church office this week, 662-283-3804, or email me, chad at moorememorialumc.com. You can also message us through Facebook or find our contact information at our website with a simple Google search. Just search for Moore Memorial UMC. May God fill you this week with confidence that Christ has been raised from the dead. And in that knowledge, may you persevere with hope that the best is yet to come. Go in peace. 
And if you've believed these things, go tell them to your brothers and sisters. Amen.